0: story 10 of sea stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Sea Stories, edited by Cyrus Townsend Brady. Story 10, Toilers of the Sea. Victor Hugo's Toilers of the Sea is a story of the Channel Islands between England and France, Gilead, the hero was a seaman of extraordinary skill and physical strength a solitary fellow who used to cruise about alone in his sloop dreaming of deruchette the prettiest maid of guernsey deruchette was the niece of Mess lethery an old sailor who was fast growing rich from the income of his steamboat the durande which plied between guernsey and the french coast one foggy night the durande was wrecked on the douvres dangerous rocks in the open sea five leagues out from Guernsey, and her skipper, Sue Clubin, was drowned. The Durande, however, did not sink, but hung suspended between the two great rocks, and her valuable machinery was safe so long as the wreck should hold together. Deruchette promised to marry any brave man who would rescue the engines of her uncle's boat, and for so great a prize, Gilliatt resolved to undertake the dangerous and almost hopeless task. He sailed out to the Douvres, and for two months lived among the barren rocks, suffering every kind of peril and privation while working on the wreck of the Durande. At last, after superhuman efforts, he succeeded in loading the machinery upon his sloop and was about to return triumphantly and claim his reward when a fearful tempest burst upon him and forced him to terrible exertions in order to save himself and his completed work from being dashed to pieces in the caverns of the Douvres. Successful at last, but utterly exhausted by the struggle, Gilliatt sank upon the deck of his sloop and fell into a heavy sleep the famous story of his adventure with the devil fish begins at this juncture a struggle with a devil fish from toilers of the sea by victor hugo when he awakened he was hungry the sea was growing calmer but there was still a heavy swell which made his departure for the present at least impossible the day too was far advanced for the sloop with its burden to get to guernsey before midnight it was necessary to start in the morning although pressed by hunger gilliatt began by stripping himself the only means of getting warmth his clothing was saturated by the storm but the rain had washed out the sea-water which rendered it possible to dry them he kept nothing on but his trousers which he turned up nearly to the knees his overcoat jacket overalls and sheepskin he spread out and fixed with large round stones here and there then he thought of eating he had recourse to his knife which he was careful to sharpen and to keep always in good condition and he detached from the rock a few limpets similar in kind to the clonices of the mediterranean it is well known that these are eaten raw but after so many labours so various and so rude the pittance was meagre his biscuit was gone but of water he had now abundance he took advantage of the receding tide to wander among the rocks in search of crayfish he wandered not in the gorge of the rocks but outside among the small breakers it was there that the durande ten weeks previously had struck upon the sunken reef for the search that gilliatt was prosecuting this part was more favorable than the interior at low water the crabs are accustomed to crawl out into the air they seem to like to warm themselves in the sun where they swarm sometimes to the disgust of the loiterers who recognize in these creatures with their awkward sidelong gait climbing clumsily from crack to crack the lower stages of the rocks like the steps of a staircase a sort of sea vermin for two months, Gilliatt had lived upon these vermin of the sea. On this day, however, the crayfish and crabs were both wanting. The tempest had driven them into their solitary retreats, and they had not yet mustered courage to venture abroad. Gilliatt held his open knife in his hand, and from time to time scraped a cockle from under the bunches of seaweed, which he ate while still walking. He could not have been far from the very spot where Sir Clubin had perished as gilliatt was determining to content himself with the sea urchins and the chantagne de mer a little clattering noise at his feet aroused his attention a large crab startled by his approach had just dropped into a pool the water was shallow and he did not lose sight of it he chased the crab along the base of the rock the crab moved fast suddenly it was gone it had buried itself in some crevice under the rock gilliatt clutched the protections of the rock and stretched out to observe where it shelved away under the water as he suspected there was an opening there in which the creature had evidently taken refuge it was more than a crevice it was kind of a porch the sea entered beneath it but was not deep the bottom was visible covered with large pebbles the pebbles were green and clothed with conferve, indicating that they were never dry they were like the tops of a number of heads of infants covered with a kind of green hair holding his knife between his teeth Gilliatt descended by the help of feet and hands from the upper part of the escarpment and leaped into the water it reached almost to his shoulders he made his way through the porch and found himself in a blind passage with a roof in the form of a rude arch over his head the walls were polished and slippery the crab was nowhere visible he gained his feet and advanced in the daylight growing fainter so that he began to lose the power to distinguish objects at about fifteen paces the vaulted roof ended overhead he had penetrated beyond the blind passage there was here more space and consequently more daylight the pupils of his eyes moreover had dilated he could see pretty clearly he was taken by surprise he had made his way again into the singular cavern which he had visited in the previous month the only difference was that he had entered by the way of the sea his eyes became more accustomed to the place his vision became clearer and clearer he was astonished he found above the level of the water and within reach of his hand a horizontal fissure it seemed to him probable that the crab had taken refuge there and he plunged his hand in as far as he was able and groped about in that dusky aperture suddenly he felt himself seized by the arm a strange indescribable horror thrilled through him some living thing thin rough flat cold slimy had twisted itself round his naked arm in the dark depth below it crept upward toward his chest its pressure was like a tightening cord its steady persistence like that of a screw in less than a moment some mysterious spiral form had passed round his wrist and elbow and had reached his shoulder a sharp point penetrated beneath the armpit gilliatt recoiled but he had scarcely power to move he was as it were nailed to the place with his left hand which was disengaged he seized his knife which he still held between his teeth and with that hand holding the knife he supported himself against the rocks while he made a desperate effort to withdraw his arm he succeeded only in disturbing his persecutor which wound itself still tighter it was supple as leather strong as steel cold as night a second form sharp elongated and narrow issued out of the crevice like a tongue out of monstrous jaws it seemed to lick his naked body then suddenly stretching out it became longer and thinner as it crept over his skin and wound itself round him at the same time a terrible sense of pain comparable to nothing he had ever known compelled all his muscles to contract he felt upon his skin a number of flat rounded points it seemed as if innumerable suckers had fastened to his flesh and were about to drink his blood a third long undulating shape issued from the hole in the rock and seemed to feel its way about his body lashed round his ribs like a cord and fixed itself there agony when at its height is mute Gilliatt uttered no cry there was sufficient light for him to see the repulsive forms which had entangled themselves about him a fourth ligature but this one swift as an arrow darted toward his stomach and wound round him there it was impossible to sever or tear away the slimy bands which were twisted tightly round his body and were adhering by a number of points each of the points was a focus of frightful and singular pangs it was as if numberless small mouths were devouring him at the same time a fifth long slimy ribboned-shaped strip issued from the hole it passed over the others and wound itself tightly around his chest the compression increased his sufferings he could scarcely breathe these living thongs were pointed at their extremities but broadened like the blade of a sword toward its hilt all belonged evidently to the same center they crept and glided about him he felt the strange points of pressure which seemed to him like mouths change their places from time to time suddenly a large round gluttonous mass issued from beneath the crevice it was the center the five thongs were attached to it like spokes to the nave of a wheel on the opposite sides of this disgusting monster appeared the commencement of three other tentacles the ends of which remained under the rock in the middle of this slimy mass appeared two eyes the eyes were fixed on gilead he recognized the devil fish it is difficult for those who have not seen it to believe in the existence of the devil fish compared to this creature the ancient hydras are insignificant if terror were the object of its creation nothing could be imagined more perfect than the devil fish the devil fish has no muscular organization no menacing cry no breastplate no horn no dart no claw no tail with which to hold or bruise no cutting fins or wings with nails no prickles no sword no electric discharge no poison no talons no beak no teeth yet he is of all creatures the most formidably armed what then is the devil fish it is the sea vampire this frightful apparition which is always possible among the rocks in the open sea is a grayish form which undulates in the water it is of the thickness of a man's arm and in length nearly five feet its outline is ragged its form resembles an umbrella closed and without a handle this irregular mass advances slowly toward you suddenly it opens and eight radii issue abruptly from around a face with two eyes the radii are alive their undulation is like lambent flames they resemble when opened the spokes of a wheel of four or five feet in diameter a terrible expansion, it springs upon its prey. The devilfish harpoons its victim. It winds around the sufferer, covering and entangling him in its long folds. Underneath it is yellow. Above a dull earthly hue, nothing could render that inexplicable shade dust-colored. Its form is spider-like, but its tints are like those of the chameleon. When irritated, it becomes violet. Its most horrible characteristic is its softness. Its folds strangle, its contact paralyzes, it has an aspect like gangrened or scabrous flesh. It is a monstrous embodiment of disease. It adheres closely to its prey and cannot be torn away, a fact which is due to its power of exhausting air. The eight antennae large at their roots diminish gradually and end in needle-like points. Underneath each of these feelers range two rows of pustules, Decreasing in size the largest ones near the head, the smaller at the extremities, each row contains twenty-five of these. There are therefore fifty pustules to each feeler, and the creature possesses in the whole four hundred. These pustules are capable of acting like cupping glasses. They are cartilaginous substances, cylindrical, horny, and livid. Upon the large species they diminish gradually from the diameter of a five-franc piece to the size of a split pea these small tubes can be thrust out and withdrawn by the animal at will they are capable of piercing to a depth of more than an inch this sucking apparatus has all the regularity and delicacy of a keyboard it stands forth at one moment and disappears the next the most perfect sensitiveness cannot equal the contractibility of these suckers always proportioned to the internal movement of the animal and its exterior circumstances the monster is endowed with the qualities of the sensitive plant when swimming, the devilfish rests, so to speak, in its sheath. It swims with all its parts drawn close and may be likened to a sleeve sewn up with a closed fist within. The protuberance, which is the head, pushes the water aside and advances with a vague undulatory movement. Its two eyes, though large, are indistinct, being of the color of the water. The devil fish not only swims, it walks. It is partly fish, partly reptile. It crawls upon the bed of the sea, at these times it makes use of its eight feelers and creeps along in the fashion of a species of swift moving caterpillar it has no blood no bones no flesh it is soft and flabby a skin with nothing inside its eight tentacles may be turned inside out like the fingers of a glove it has a single orifice in the center of its radii which appears at first to be neither the vent nor the mouth it is in fact both one and the other the orifice performs a double function the entire creature is cold the jellyfish of the mediterranean is repulsive contact with that animated gelatinous substance which envelops the bather in which the hands sink and the nails scratch ineffectively which can be torn without killing it and which can be plucked off without entirely removing it that fluid and yet tenacious creature which slips through the fingers is disgusting but no horror can equal the sudden apparition of the devil fish that medusa with its eight serpents it is with the sucking apparatus that it attacks the victim is oppressed by a vacuum drawing at numberless points it is not a clawing or a biting but an indescribable scarification a tearing of the flesh is terrible but less terrible than a sucking of the blood claws are harmless compared with the horrible action of these natural air cups the muscles swell the fibres of the body are contorted the skin cracks under the loathsome oppression the blood spurts out and mingles horribly with the lymph of the monster which clings to its victim by innumerable hideous mouths the hydra incorporates itself with the man the man becomes one with the hydra the spectre lies upon you the tiger can only devour you the devil fish horrible sucks your life-blood away he draws you to him and into himself, while bound down, glued to the ground, powerless. You feel yourself gradually emptied into this horrible pouch, which is the monster itself. Such was the creature in whose power Gilead had fallen for some minutes. The monster was the inhabitant of the grotto, the terrible genii of the place, a kind of somber demon of the water. All the splendors of the cavern existed for it alone on the day of the previous month when Gilliatt had first penetrated into the grotto the dark outline vaguely perceived by him in the ripples of the secret waters was this monster it was here in its home when entering for the second time into the cavern in pursuit of the crab he had observed the crevice in which he supposed that the crab had taken refuge the pivre was there lying in wait for prey Gilliatt had thrust his arm deep into the opening the monster had snapped at it. It held him fast as the spider holds the fly. He was in the water up to his belt, his naked feet clutching the slippery roundness of the huge stones at the bottom, his right arm bound and rendered powerless by the flat coils of the long tentacles of the creature, and his body almost hidden under the folds and cross-folds of this horrible bandage. Of the eight arms of the devil-fish, three adhered to the rock, while five encircled Gilead. In this way, clinging to the granite on the one hand and with the other to its human prey, it enchained him to the rock. Two hundred and fifty suckers were upon him, tormenting him with agony and loathing. He was grasped by gigantic hands, the fingers of which were nearly each a yard long, and furnished inside with living blisters eating into the flesh. It is impossible to tear oneself from the folds of the devil-fish. The attempt ends only in a firmer grasp, the monster clings with more determined force its effort increases with that of its victim every struggle produces a tightening of its ligatures gilliatt had but one resource his knife his left hand only was free but the reader knows with what power he could use it it might have been said that he had two right hands his open knife was in his hand the antennae of the devilfish cannot be cut it is a leathery substance impossible to divide with the knife it slips under the edge its position in attack also is such that to cut it would be to wound the victim's own flesh the creature is formidable but there is a way of resisting it the fishermen of sark know this as does anyone who has seen them execute certain abrupt movements in the sea the porpoises know it also they have a way of biting the cuttlefish which decapitates it hence the frequent sight on the sea of penfish pulps and cuttlefish without heads the devil-fish in fact is only vulnerable through the head Gilliatt was not ignorant of this fact with the devil-fish as with a furious bull there is a certain moment in the conflict which must be seized it is the instant when the devil-fish advances its head the movement is rapid he who loses that moment is destroyed the things we have described occupied only a few moments Gilliatt, however felt the increasing power of its innumerable suckers the monster is cunning it tries first to stupefy its prey it seizes and then pauses a while gilliatt grasped his knife the sucking increased he looked at the monster which seemed to look at him suddenly it loosened from the rock its sixth antenna and darted it at him seized him by the left arm at the same moment it advanced its head with a violent movement in one second more its mouth would have fastened on his breast bleeding in the sides and with his two arms entangled he would have been a dead man Gilliatt was watchful he avoided the antenna and at the moment when the monster darted forward to fasten on his breast he struck it with the knife clenched in his left hand there were two convulsions in opposite directions that of the devil fish and that of its prey the movement was rapid as a double flash of lightning he had plunged the blade of his knife into the flat slimy substance and by a rapid movement like the flourish of a whip in the air describing a circle around the two eyes he wrenched the head off as a man would draw a tooth. The struggle was ended. The folds relaxed. The monster dropped away like the slow detaching of bands. The four hundred suckers deprived of their sustaining power dropped at once from the man and the rock. The mass sank to the bottom of the water. Breathless with the struggle, Gilliatt could perceive upon the stones at his feet two shapeless, slimy heaps, the head on one side the remainder of the monster on the other fearing nevertheless some convulsive return of his agony he recoiled to avoid the reach of the dreaded tentacles but the monster was quite dead gilliatt closed his knife it was time that he killed the devil fish he was almost suffocated his right arm and his chest were purple numberless little swellings were distinguishable upon them the blood flowed from them here and there the remedy for these wounds is seawater. Gilliatt plunged into it, rubbing himself at the same time with the palms of his hands. The swellings disappeared under the friction. End of story 10. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.